In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about a woman inadvertently ending up with a man whose treatment of her was familiar to how her dad treated her when she was young. It took coming face-to-face with cancer in the midst of a global pandemic for today's storyteller to ultimately leave. The story she has to tell is one of fighting for her younger self, fighting for her daughter, and ultimately fighting for her future. A quick listener note before we dive in, today's story includes references of domestic violence. Domestic violence can take many forms, of course, including physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, and can happen to anyone, regardless of gender, age, race, or socioeconomic status, or even cancer. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please know that you're not alone and that help is available. The National Domestic Violence Hotline provides confidential support and resources 24-7, and you can find them at 1-800-799-SAFE or at thehotline.org. Thank you for listening to The Burn. If today's story or any story involving domestic abuse does not feel safe for you, we look forward to having you tune back in next week. My guest today is Tatiana Berger. Tatiana is an attorney who was diagnosed with breast cancer twice. The first time, she was 38, and it was stage one. The second time, it had traveled to her lymph nodes. In looking back at that time, Tatiana says she lived through kitchen sink cancer treatment, lockdown, and divorce, all during the height of the pandemic in April 2020. Treatment included 16 rounds of chemotherapy, 38 rounds of radiation, multiple surgeries, and she recently completed two years of Verzinio. Today, she is an aspiring writer and hopes to create a retreat for cancer survivors to help them on their healing journey. She's a single mom to two girls and enjoys an active outdoor lifestyle traveling back and forth between her homes in Newport Beach and Hawaii. Welcome to The Burn, Tatiana. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'm really excited about your story. You are reading a piece you wrote called The Chrysalis. This was a story we published in 2023's issue, Five Years and Counting. That was an issue that we asked people who had experienced life five years from diagnosis at least to tell their stories. So after you read, you and I will chat. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Tatiana, I'll let you take it away. Okay. The morning I started chemotherapy turned into the evening. I would finally and irrevocably run away from the man I had married 14 years before. 
instinct and self-preservation caused me to finally reject my abuser and a person I believed played a significant role in my diagnosis. In 2017, I was stage one, grade two, high estrogen and progesterone and had a risk of recurrence less than 6%. I raced back to my old life, refusing to accept the intricate mind-body-spirit connection that had made me sick. The recurrence in 2020 was surreal. The world was in the beginning of lockdown. Fear of the coronavirus was everywhere. That day, I felt my lymph node in my left underarm. I had no choice but to listen to the universe that had been screaming at me for years to leave my toxic marriage, to pay attention. As it turns out, fear of impending death during near total isolation from the rest of the world became my chrysalis. I did not know at the time, but nothing would be the same once I emerged from the cocoon this fight amidst the global pandemic would force me into. In hindsight, the marriage was destined for failure from the beginning. To him, we were like oil and vinegar. But the truth is that I married a narcissist and I lived to tell about it, though I almost died in the process. Before my body physically rejected the years of abuse, all the signs were there. In 2016, my ex was unusually abusive over many months. He'd spent a night in jail after choking me. Another time, he drunk crashed our car with me as passenger because he accused me of being too friendly with our real estate agent. Yet instead of leaving, I stayed. He did not punch or hit, so I didn't understand. Whenever he did something particularly nasty, he would claim to be joking. I was a lawyer and believed the key to success was to grind away with the prestige of a fancy law firm. With that came long hours, aggressive personalities, and challenging clients. At home, I was basically a solo parent. After the first diagnosis, my ex would often accuse me of being lazy. The verbal abuse was more constant and damaging than the physical. In 2019, my mental health showed the first signs of rupture. Other people's anger became unbearable. Within a few short months, I had severed ties with my boss, friends, and eventually my ex. In early 2020, we separated after a particularly jarring episode where he demeaned me to our eldest daughter, something he did often. My fight-or-flight response was triggered and I ran away to our vacation property in Hawaii, my safe place. Something about his behavior that day was too familiar, so poisonous that I physically panicked and ran away. We moved back in together during the lockdown until I found him passed out drunk in the girls' playroom the night of my first chemo. While my immune system was under attack, he snuck out to drink with friends during the most consequential part of the pandemic. He became violent when I questioned this absurd decision. I fell into an abyss of loneliness, but I also knew I had to escape him. I made the decision to complete the remaining six weeks of TC at my vacant rental in Hawaii. I needed to escape. I also desperately wanted to get a second opinion from MD Anderson or Memorial Sloan Kettering. Neither facility was accepting out-of-state patients. As the universe aligned my path, I discovered a hospital on Oahu had a relationship with MD Anderson. I requested and received an exemption to the 14-day quarantine for incoming visitors so I could attend chemo and get weekly lab work. I found a dry ice distributor, rented penguin ice caps, and traveled with a giant cooler of supplies to save my hair. Once I was settled, I flew the kids over. They wore masks and face shields on the flights. Then I served the ex with divorce papers. When the body lives in fight or flight for so long, the brain retaliates. Through adaptive treatment, my ex did what he could to torment me. His mother even once took my Verzenio, a drug at the time only for stage four patients, and hid it from me. I became physically distraught whenever he was near. 
rage, anger, PTSD. I often say the drug reaction was my bottom, the last of my ability to keep faking that everything was going to be okay. On a Thursday, I began taking gabapentin for nerve pain from chemo. By Saturday, it was clear something was wrong. I was talking about taking a road trip to Texas. I hate to drive. My ex was with the kids. I sent him several messages to leave the house because I needed to be alone. As was typical, he ignored my pleas despite having a court order that I was to have exclusive use of the home. I was in the middle of what became a medical emergency. I was hospitalized for severe depression, which it turned out was caused by the gabapentin. My ex heard about the incident and quickly obtained a temporary restraining order against me, claiming to anyone who would listen that I was crazy and needed to be in a mental hospital. During those days, he told the kids and my family that my doctors were paid by me and therefore would not tell the truth about the need to be put into an institution. He kept the kids for 26 days despite knowing that this, his claims were false. Around the same time I started doing eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, known as EMDR therapy, to help with the very apparent PTSD triggered by my ex. While hiking on Mount Haleakala in Maui, a spiritual place I journeyed to as part of my healing, I unlocked a secret from my childhood. Haleakala is thought to be the Earth's heart chakra. Its vibration is said to resonate at the same frequency as the human heart. While hiking, I recalled things that I had long ago buried. It was my dad. The memories came back in a rush as I began to process the trauma this man had caused. PTSD is what I believed it to be. Whenever my ex behaved toward my daughter and me the same way my own father had treated me and my mother, I would retreat to the pain of my childhood. Suddenly it made sense. The memories were buried in me, but they had not died. My own relationship with my mother had been decades of pain. I believed her to be incapable of loving me. I believed her to be my abuser, and she was in many ways. But as I hiked on that mountain, I suddenly could not stop seeing the similarities between the man I married and the father figure who had let me down my whole life. Just like my dad had spent years alienating me from my mother, I realized that my mind, and very likely my body, refused to lose my daughter the way my own father had turned me against my mother. Slowly I awakened from the nightmare that was my childhood. My own father brainwashed me. In exchange, I would gift him with years of narcissistic supply as he watched me battle my mom and destroy her mental health. My ex was now doing the same thing to my eldest daughter. It was why I ran away to Hawaii months earlier. My illness forced me to process a pain I had long ago buried. I was undergoing a transformation. Without totally understanding at the time, my journey was shifting from annihilating the tumors within to healing the emotional and spiritual damage an abusive childhood and marriage caused. I was certain the cancer came back because of the unrepaired trauma. Intuitively, I knew that I had discovered the key to heal the physical symptoms of my trauma. I could not change what had happened to me, but I could heal. The toxic marriage became the never-ending toxic divorce. This man and his family seemed intent on breaking me financially, physically, and mentally while I worked to heal my mind, body, and spirit. By chance, I met a woman whose product podcast supports women's healing journeys. She was traveling to Belize to facilitate a woman's retreat and invited me to participate. Essential Anne was a trauma survivor and had gone through near-death illness as a young woman and also lost custody during a toxic divorce against a man not unlike my ex. The transformation I experienced over those 10 days in Belize is where I believe the butterfly finally emerged from the chrysalis. In 2020, I said goodbye to everything that defined me, marriage, career, health, 
physical strength, finances, and even for a short time, my kids. I walked through fire and there were times I questioned my ability to go on. And then I began to heal. Mm. Tatiana, thank you so much for that. So powerful. Thank you. Yes. All right. We're going to take a quick break here for a testimonial. And when we come back, we will chat. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, April. Hi, Breasties. It's Lindsay Vieira here from Winnipeg, Canada. I was diagnosed with stage two estrogen positive breast cancer in 2021. That's right, during one of those horrible COVID years. However, I was the luckiest person to be able to discover and join forces with Wildfire. When you write and read with Wildfire, your healing is so multi-layered. You feel like you aren't alone. You have a community. Writing in classes with April made me feel normal. And then that normalizing factor helped me find myself. I may have even started joking again. I've always been a writer, but I cannot describe the, to the depth and the clarity at which having this purpose and the instructions from April helped me. Listening to the burn in the car on the way to my many healthcare appointments, it was as though I had aligned myself with all of the wisdom, strength, and inspiration of the many women who have gone before me and alongside me. For all of this, I am eternally grateful, April. Thank you so much, Wildfire. Thank you so much for the love, Lindsay. All right. Welcome back, Tatiana. Thank you again for your really vulnerable storytelling today. I really appreciate you getting into this story with us. Thank you. It's It was a little difficult to read. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, it's so interesting, right? How writing it is one thing, sharing it is another thing, and then you know, sharing it out loud is a whole other... A hundred percent. I don't know. All a yard or yes, something. Yes, it is. <laughs> Being like singer and songwriter, performer all at once. Yep. Right? Well, it's very, very vulnerable. And I know that there are people listening to your story who really need this, need to hear you, you know, showing that there can be life after so much trauma. So again, thank you for that. Of course. So I want to get into your story a little bit, going back to uh, the beginning and going back to after your first diagnosis, you had this really great line in your piece about racing back to kind of life before cancer. Mm -hmm. And it really resonated with me because I think that is the story 
or the promise maybe that we're given upon diagnosis, especially if we're diagnosed early stage, that cancer will just be a little detour, you know, just a little blip. And then you're right back to, to the life that you had. Can you remember what that felt like for you? Was that important to you? Did you cling to that or was it more instinct? Just, you know, I'm sick for a bit and then I'll get right back to this. Um, for me, it was, I think, a little bit of both. I It was important to me. I was in the middle of a career that had just finally hit a place where I thought I was going to get to the next level. Uh, I was ready to buckle down for like a two-year run to to go through that. That obviously was a whole added layer of stress that I didn't really understand at the time. Uh, but it was important to me. I was telling my sister who has uh, a little sty in her eye this week and is trying to bail on a lunch we're supposed to go to in San Francisco on Friday. And I told her, I went to our 25-year high school reunion with tissue expanders in like two weeks after having my double mastectomy. And that was just so much who I was. Like, of course, this thing isn't going to stop me from doing and being everything that I was, you know, before. Um, and with work, I remember, I remember taking pain medicine for something and feeling obligated to be on work calls. And in hindsight, I'm like, what were you doing? Like you could have said the craziest things and right? like thought it was normal. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a different, it was a different time. It's still though a process for me to be like, wait a second, I have to take a step back and rest and take some time off, not jump back into the fire. Well, it's hard. It's a hard thing to break that cycle because we, we have a culture that really celebrates the work hard, work hard at all costs, you know, don't be sick, don't show weakness. And so to unlearn that, as you showed us in your story, it's, it's breaking a lot of different cycles and that's really scary. To, to do and to try to do. Yeah, for sure. It became a, a bigger part of, I mean, that instinct in me or whether it was, you know, nurtured over years of always feeling I had to perform through a part of my story is when you grow up in a family with, you know, people who have traits of narcissism, low empathy, uh, low emotional intelligence, um, you uh, the child oftentimes feels like they're not good enough if they're not performing. Mm -hmm. So the adult who has gone through that, and then to have a husband who was subtly, anytime I you know wanted to take a break, like I think I touched on it, he would say I was lazy, and you know because of the brevity of the story, that the history is I was working for um, a team that had hauled off to Hungary. And we're doing an investigation on the set of some, you know, television, Netflix or Showtime or whatever it was. And I was doing work at midnight, one o'clock, two in the morning. So, of course, I was tired at 630 a.m. Of course I was. But to him, it was, you're lazy. Everyone should wake up at 6 a.m. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I just think it's so interesting, not just, um, you know, the realizations that you had about your marriage through the course of all of this, but the realizations that you had that in order to heal 
this physical cancer that had come along, you were going to have to heal and break all those other cycles as well. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that transformation for you and maybe even take us back to the, the mountain in Hawaii where you, you kind of came to this realization? Yeah. Um, it's actually like not, it's sort of something that built over time. And I, I'll actually go back before I go to Maui to when I arrived during lockdown on Oahu uh, for the first time. And I had six weeks of chemo to finish. And in our vacation rental condo, people, you know, it's kind of people leave books, they leave sunblock, they leave different things. And I walked in and there was a book that was on the coffee table. And it was titled Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And I was like, this is such a weird book, coincidentally, to be here, you know, during this time. And I still, I kept the book in Hawaii. I I flipped through it a couple of times. I finally brought it home in 2023 because I realized so much of what that book was saying is what my story, how my story unfolded. So other people had told me, you know, throughout stress can lead to cancer. Stress can cause a recurrence, but there's so much, um, there's not enough science backed, you know, data, I guess, yet on this. And I feel like I'm a real world example of that. And going through the EMDR, EMDR is supposed to help you untangle memories, past traumas, and, you know, things that are buried deep. So when I had kind of started to have this idea in my head and I'd done EMDR for a year, the first time I did EMDR, I had these strange feelings about my dad, which were, we were, I was a daddy's girl. So that was odd for me. Uh, a year later, I was up on Haleakala. A friend took me up there. And again, there were strange little coincidences. I found a rock, a crystal rock that had the word mom engraved on it. And I felt really connected to that rock because of my own two girls and because of my tattered relationship with my own mother. It was just a very spiritual experience. And as I'm walking, I felt like I was in a movie of my life and somebody had pushed the rewind button and it went all the way back to childhood. I looked up and I was like, oh, wow, now I understand. And suddenly I could not unsee how I had married my father and where this all came from. Wow. Wow. It's so, it's so interesting to me, this part of your story, because you you know, you thought for a long time that it was an estrangement from your mom or something, you know, that the root of it was your mom. And then to realize that your dad was really um, a lot of the catalyst for what was going on there is just so mm-hmm. powerful. And and then I think to write about it adds that next layer of understanding. Um, is this, I, I'm going to guess this isn't the first time you've written this story or the first time you've ex- used writing to to work through it. Is that true? Um, so this was actually, how did I, I I really only turned back to writing. Sometimes during chemo, I would have moments where like the steroids were in me and I would go on these, I would write these wild stories about my family and different things. I've always been it's always been suggested I should be a writer. I was a I had a journalism background. Then I went into law, but specifically writing this story came from my trip 
to Belize. And those women really believing in me, but also kind of showing me ways to integrate. Okay, you've gone through the trauma. Now you found the reasons for the trauma. Now, how do you integrate that into creating a new life? And one of the things that we did in Belize over those 10 days was learn how to journey, mm. journal. And there's another woman whom I met. She lives in San Diego. She's my soul sister. And uh, she's very into journaling and creative journaling, which includes kind of what we did in you know the workshop that I attended with you where you do art and journaling. And so the, the girls in Belize had said to me, you are a writer and you have a story. Let's make that your intention or manifestation, you know, for the trip. And it happened to be that then I found your writing prompt. It was due on my birthday, December 30th, and I committed to writing that story for the first time in that like way. It was also something, too, I have to say. I had, it took me a really long time to process what had happened. And I still figure out different things all the time that are missing pieces. So the story's uh -huh. ever evolving. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love to hear that, how that evolved for you. And it kind of ties back into, you know, the title of your piece, the chrysalis and that metaphor of the butterfly. And I'm just wondering, you know, were you holding that metaphor kind of somewhere in your body or in your mind before you started writing the story or did that kind of also evolve and emerge for you at that point? I know that's funny. I started uh, on my phone in 2020, like summer of, you know, a couple months after this happened, I created a playlist called The Chrysalis. And it contained, a, Fleetwood Mac has been like historically one of my favorite bands. And, and I finally was like listening to Stevie Nicks sing her heart out over breaking up with, they had their, the entire album was about the two main singers of Fleetwood Mac breaking up. And I was like, this is my, she's my spirit animal. And I had a playlist and it was called The Chrysalis. And I really told a story and narrative in my head that you know, my angels had caused COVID so I could go through this epic apocalyptic moment in my life. And it was all hidden because everyone else was going through COVID. Wow. But that's why I always saw it as the chrysalis. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that. And I, I personally really love that metaphor because, you know, the, the caterpillar doesn't know that there's going to be this beautiful emergence, right, on the other end, and nor do any of us, yes. right? We, all we know is that life is over. The life that we knew is over, and something is changing. Something mm -hmm. has to change. And, you know, we hope for the best and hope to get through it. A, a lot of people actually think they are going to die, like, through these various traumas and having to, you know, get through them and everything. Um, and then to emerge and feel different, stronger, better, all of that. It's just, it's a real testament mm -hmm. to what, what the human spirit can do when I guess, you know, all, all other bets are off and there's nowhere else to go, I guess. Well, and people have asked me, like the one thing that you said is for the fact that I saw it as a chrysalis and I kind of felt that there was going to be an emergence instinctually by the way I mm -hmm. characterized it. To me, that's a testament of this thing that every one of my you know, therapists and doctors, that I have a, an inner resilience. People do not go, you know, and it's, yes, anyone can go through it. I don't know where I got that resilience from, but people 
have often asked, and I said, when there's nowhere else to go, I just kept mm. trying. Like, it was, you know, I was at a bottom. I, I've likened it to being in the middle of the ocean, drowning, not able to get any air mask on. And I had two kids on my shoulders who were bringing me down. And no one who you thought would have been there to mm -hmm. help was showing up. Wow. Well, and then to break those cycles, make a different story for yourself and model that for your daughters, I think is incredible. And and what a way to change you know, family cycles that you dealt with as a young person as well. Yes. I, I think it's, um, I read somewhere along the way that the, there's a term called cycle breakers for people who kind of realize that the generational trauma, um, needs to end. And it was, that was instinct yeah. for me. And it's, unfortunately, I can even look at my ex-spouse and I understand because I'm the type of person I want, I learned everything about my cancer. I learned everything about you know, the treatments. And then when I realized what I was dealing with, um, when a therapist first diagnosed my, my ex-husband as having no empathy, that took me down a path of, well, what does that mean? And then it was like putting the puzzle together. But, you know, it's been on both sides. Oh, what I was going to say too is he didn't become that way through his own fault. He came that way because he was neglected as a child or abused as a child or whatever his childhood trauma was. But it's just, the whole process was, you know what, buddy, this is not my problem anymore. I'm needing to save my own life and you're not doing anything to help mm -hmm. anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard a similar um, phrase once that really resonated with me as well, which was first generation cycle breakers. Mm -hmm. And it's not pleasant. It's not fun. We don't set out to, you know, swim upstream and change everything, but you reach this place where your whole body and brain know that a change has to happen. It's yes. not sustainable. And so you have to do it. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Your story really speaks to me, Tatiana. Thank you so much for it again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So where can people find you or read more of your writing or learn more about you if they want to? Um, my Instagram is, I think you can find me under Tatiana Berger, but it's at Tati underscore N underscore Hawaii, T-A-T-I, Tati. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook under Tatiana Veda, B-E-I-T-A, which is a shortened form of my maiden name. Perfect. We'll be sure to link to you. Well, thank you again. So today's writer was Tatiana Berger. Her piece is called The Chrysalis, and you can find this in our 2023 issue called Five Years and Counting. My name is April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode. To find our bursting archives, we have 40, more than 40 issues in our archives at this point, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. 
Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is your writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. The prompt is the last straw. Tell the story behind a time when you finally had enough and what happened next. What did it take to reach that point and how did it change you? The last straw. Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. And if you want even more prompts, I have created several free printables just for you. Head to wildfirecommunity.org free to download the ones you need. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.